And I promised my children who were watching this morning, who've been wishing me well all morning, that I wouldn't tell any dad jokes, but what kind of person was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. How smart was Pharaoh's wife? She went to the bank of Nile and pulled in a little profit. <laughs> okay, that's it for the dad jokes this morning. I think maybe that's why they don't want me to tell them, because they're, they're sad dad jokes. If you have your Bibles turned this morning to the book of Ephesians, and uh, this is uh, just going to kind of be an overview of, of where we began in the book of Ephesians, and I pulled out, I've, I've actually preached through Ephesians before because I call Ephesians a church building, a church building book. Uh, it's um, unique in the way that it presents itself because there's really not a problem that Paul's writing to. It's uh, different than any other book in the fact that it, uh, it is, as Lloyd-Jones says, I think it's as if Paul went up and we get a perspective of salvation from God looking down because we... Uh, we're a little slow on the uptake. This is what God knew he was going to do all along. So there's a really strong ethic of this is God's will and work that he's doing. And we can look at it like that, beloved. We can look at it as something that God's doing in the land. And we can put all of our trust and all of our life in that truth of what God is doing. You see it there in verses um, 9 and 10 in that first chapter. 9 and 10 are key verses here. This first chapter, the first half of it, probably being the mount of all mountains of the beauties that God's going to bestow on us, and the truth that he's giving his church is absolutely, un just, it, it is in all situations, in all great English, it's mind-blowing what God is doing from his perspective looking down, because we're so feeble about it sometimes. We need to see it from God's perspective. He's, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. In other words, we don't have to guess on what God is doing. He's making known to us his will and his purpose. And you see what that is. There's, uh, people walk around all the time and they ask me, you know, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I do. He's saving you. He wants you to serve him and be obedient to him and love him. He wants you to know the truth, live the truth, and preach the truth to the people around you in this culture. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus Christ. It's really all of history, all of what God is doing. John Calvin said the whole of creation is a grand stage on which God is carrying out the grand drama of redemption. It's all of it meant to point back to him and his goodness and the way he's taking care of man. And when Jesus came and died on that cross, it was an epiphany. This is what God's doing. He's reconciling everything, all things, through his son, Jesus Christ. You either have Christ and you're reconciled to God, or you don't and you're eternally damned. That's what he's saying here. It's a plan for the fullness of time, verse 10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Absolutely beautiful. We're just going to deal with that first verse this morning. I'm calling this Treasures So Rich. I still like that name because I believe that it's treasures that God has wants us every day to grasp more deeply 
and what he's done for us and how sure it is. Listen, God said to the sun, shine, and it shone. And it's still shining today. R.C. Sproul says there's no way the sun was not going to not shine (laughs) because God said to shine. God says this is what he's doing. It's called the church. And if we have any doubt about that, that doubt resides only in us, not in God. He's absolute here in these words. This is a church-building letter. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I love the opening of this letter. It's not that different than all of Paul's letters, but it is that different than all of Paul's letters. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was a man from God with a word from God to deliver to the people of God about the will of God. Did you get that? Paul was a man sent from God with a word from God to the people of God to accomplish the will of God. That's what he's getting ready to write. That's what he's getting ready to unload in this one little verse this morning. It means so much. It's the glorious work of Ephesians. And as I said, there was no real known problem. He just gives us this this litany of truth directly from the lips of God. Directly through the power of the Holy Spirit, this man sent from God delivers a a high, high word from God to the people of God to accomplish the will of God. And this word has the power to change the man. That's Paul. Because Paul was a man much changed. But it also has, listen to me, there's some deal with Ephesians that I have that I've dealt with this time as we begin to preach this that just... Man, when I look at our culture and I look at these truths, I go, how do those two fit together? I mean, these are the most exalted high truths, and it's almost like something we all get together and coo and love over and and practice and preach and love in church. But when we go out into the world, it's such a a damned and demon-possessed and pagan place that, like, how do we fit these two together? But it's just the opposite of that. This truth has the power to change the man. That's Paul. But it also has the power to change the culture. That's Ephesus or South Jersey. You see that? It's Paul the Apostle. Paul was a murderous thug who was changed by this message. Paul became an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's the will of God. And in, in, in what Ephesians is going to teach us when we get to the third chapter is that the will of God that changed the heart of Paul was more fantastic than the saying to the sun, shine out of the dark. Verse 3, or verse 10 in chapter 3. We'll get there in a minute. Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesus was a demon-possessed place. We're going to learn more about Ephesus, but I can't tell you that the culture there was any more pagan or less than the culture in which we live today. And the same message that changed the Apostle Paul changed the people at Ephesus. You see there in verse 1, and now they're faithful in Christ Jesus. they, They were pagans, and now they're faithful followers of Jesus Christ. I think there's great hope. That's why I call it treasure so rich, because it changes the man, and then it changes the culture, because listen, 
when you say the word culture, what word do you hear? Cult. Cult is just another, don't be afraid of that word. Somebody calls you a cultist, say, yes, I am for Jesus Christ. Cult is just another word for religion. In other words, what you worship is what you live. Cult, culture is just downstream from the cult. It's going to teach us a lot about these things. Let's just look at that. I call it treasure so rich because if you just peruse down through these words, they're absolutely beautiful. And I, I, there's no way that Paul could have had anywhere but gotten this from the power of the Holy Spirit. It sets forth the book of Ephesians, and it tells us, and it takes us, our heart and our mind, to places that we, like I said, it's, it's kind of even hard to believe. Just look down through, as we go through some of this, and I've got my Bible so marked uh, with the book of Ephesians because I love it so much. If we just look at verses 3, 4, just this first section. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what he's done in Christ. When he crucified him on the cross and he put our sins on Jesus so that they could be paid for and give Jesus his, gave us Jesus' righteousness, right? We, we receive every spiritual blessing that Christ in, earned on our behalf. And here's the part that's hard to grasp around, and some of our best doctrine and our deepest theology is made here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is, before creation, God had a plan in Jesus Christ. It's called the covenant of redemption. We're going to learn much more about that as we go because it's very important doctrine. But he had a plan in Jesus Christ. He knew who you were. He knew what he was doing for you to redeem and reconcile you and all things in Christ. Those are magnificent, glorious realities. It's just it's to make you blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We're part of his family. This was according in verse 5 to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins. According to the richness of his grace, was he's, he's going to, he has and will continue to lavish upon us. As I said, this is the plan for the fullness of time. There is no other plan. This is what God is doing. In him we have attained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's like R.C. said about God speaking the Son into existence. There's no way these things are not going to happen for the believer and for the one that is connected to Jesus Christ in faith. It's the glorious realities. And we just keep going a little bit further. And you get to chapter 2. and Well, don't, don't leave off the, the last portion of chapter 1 because he's, he's not only given us these things, but we're, we're conscious of these things. You see that in chapter 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, verse 19, in us who believe? It's according to the working of his great might that he's worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places. He's made us conscious of what he is doing. We can see the beauty in it. It's sometimes, though, it's us that goes, well, you know, mm, I don't know. Why do we not believe to the extent that Ephesians teaches us that these things are as sure as the sun shining tomorrow morning when we get up? Indeed, more sure, this is what God's doing eternally in his son, Jesus Christ. And he has done this for sinners. He reminds us as we top chapter 2 that 
We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we, we followed the prince of the power of the air. We were under control uh, by the demon, the great demon that we talked about last week that was there in the garden, and he wanted to take control of our lives, and we were sinners. We were sinners to the core. It was the very nature of who we were, but God did something great in us, and it says as we move on to verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even though we were dead, you know, dead men can't do anything. There's a lot of belief, and we'll work more doctrine here as we go through this, but there's a lot of belief that dead men can reach up from the grave and, and reach a good God, but that's just not true. God does that work holy in us. That's why we can count on it being holy, perfect, and holy good, and we can't lose it. Salvation is all of God. This is what Paul brought down to us, that God being rich in mercy, and he goes on in verse 8, by grace you've been saved. Through faith. This is not your doing. It's a gift of God. And then we start in verse 11 and go through the end of that chapter, and it tells us how we become to begin to not only are we one with God because of what Christ has done, but we can be one with one another, that we can have a fellowship so sweet and so good. And then we get to chapter 3, and it talks about Paul preaching the gospel. And we get, and I just want to show you there the, the passage just before um, uh, he read this morning for us. Look at verse 9, chapter 3. Paul says, I'm a preacher to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, here's the, I love this verse. To me, this is the center of the book. So that through the church, that's not this building, that's us, through the blood-blot believers, through those who have faith and followers in Jesus Christ, as Paul would say this morning, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, that's the church. You see it there in verse 10? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The angels that were there that saw the Son spoke into existence are more amazed by this truth and what God's doing in a man like Paul and a man like me and people like you than they were of all of creation being seeing that come into existence. That's the miracle, that he could change us from sinners to saints and use us as apostles and preachers and people who profit his gospel. That's amazing that in the first three chapters that Paul, that Paul has laid down all of what we call the indicatives, the things that God has done for us. Because we were dead men, we didn't deserve any of this, but yet God did it, as Romans would say, uh, while we were still dead, Christ died on our behalf. He says, behold, I show you a mystery, and that mystery, the working of the church, is ultimately the gospel that in Christ on Calvary, all of our sins were laid, all of Jesus took on all of our sin, and we took on all of Christ's righteousness that day for those who believe in faith. Because of this, death has been destroyed for us. We were dead men. We were followers of the prince of the power of the earth, I said, and he's raised us up and seated us. In the heavenly places. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Behold, I show you a mystery. You guys know these words. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall resound, 
and the dead shall be raised, and we shall be changed. Huh? For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible hath put on incorruption, and this mortal hath put on immortality, then is brought to pass the saying that is written, that death is swallowed up in victory. He goes on to mock death. He says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because the sting of death is in sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. But he says in all of Ephesians and all of Corinthians, Thanks be to the Father who has brought us that victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what keeps us from working for the Lord full time, every day, every minute, every breath we take is the fact that we doubt sometimes. Man, we're full of that. We're human beings. We are human beings. As I said, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that uh, it's as if Paul went up and brought down God's perspective of salvation to man. So chapters 1 through 3 are the indicatives. They're the beautiful words that Paul writes that changes the man. It, uh, it is the power that changes the man. But we need the power that changes the culture in here as well. And once the changed man lives the way he should, he begins to change the culture. And when we see that, we see the indicatives of chapters 4, 5, and 6. First, we have the imperatives, or excuse me, the indicatives. I'm saying that backwards. I'm sorry. It's my dyslexia, right? First, we have the indicatives. That's what God, they indicate, by the way. I don't want to get too far off. They indicate what God has done for us. And then we have the imperatives or the things that God says is imperative for the person that's been changed by what he's done for us. It's imperative that they do these things. And those start in chapter 4, 5, and 6. And what we see is that the man not changed by chapters 1 through 3 can't live like the chapters 4 through 6 call us to live. Because in 4, it tells us that we have to walk together in a... Uh, you see that there. Just read the first, first few verses of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. My goodness, how could we ever do that unless we were changed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? How could we walk ever walk in a manner that worthy? But we can through faith in Jesus Christ. He says to have humility and gentleness, patience... Blake uh, gave us the part about so much love there just before that. That we're made together to be unified through the Spirit. That God is doing that work into us. And there's a sweet love and communion with the brothers and sisters. And a sweet love for those outside the church. That's an amazing thing. And I think that's part of what chapter 10 verse 3 is saying. That, that the angels long to look into, as Peter said, that how a bunch of people could be made changed so drastically that they would love one another. John says that they'll know us by the way we love one another. So as the sin stops in our lives, we see that in chapter 4. We begin to live a much different life towards the end of chapter 4. It's calling us to do that. And in chapter 5, it's the, it's the paramount chapter of putting sin out of our lives. And of course, those who are followers of Jesus Christ want to continue to put sin out of our lives, right? And the next thing that he does, this is not by mistake, is that he calls us to love our wise men like Jesus Christ loved the church. Listen to me. If we want to change culture today, let's start doing that now. What a witness that is to culture. 
But it doesn't stop there. It tells us to love and raise our children and nurture and admonition of the Lord as we work our way through the end of chapter 5 and beginning in the verse 6. We, we not only love our children and, and, or love our wives and love our children and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but chapter 6 is where we get into the cultural changes because it tells us what a true battle this life is. You've read those words there before. Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and put on the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand to the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers over dark places. It's a 300-megawatt truth bomb, <laughs> what Paul's telling us. Treasures so rich. The whole Christian life is wrapped up here that God has done these amazing things for us and we're to live in a certain way. It's the power in this message to change the man and it's the power in this message to change the culture. And the key of the opening statement here shows us this truth because when you look at our culture today and you think about how far it's fallen, how could these two things fit together? I said in this time in, 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 the, in the book of Ephesians, I've seen this more and more as I... And this month has made it worse, uh, the, the recognition of Pride Month and all the celebrations that are taking place and the way our media and all of our social media specifically put that in front of us constantly. Uh, I know it makes it look much bigger than it is, but I can't imagine people uh, literally uh, being proud of sinning before God. But we see that all over in our culture today. We see how far this world has fallen. We seek paganism for what it truly is because we do understand these treasures so rich. I think the further that gap gets from knowing that God, before the foundations of the world, planned to slay his son on the cross of Calvary so that we could have redemption for our sins, the further those two things get apart, the more necessary it is for us to focus on this message. And it's this message that changes our hearts. It's the glorious realities of these treasures so rich. The best illustration I have for that in verse 1 is Apostle Paul. In fact, I'm going to use this just a little bit this morning because there's two ways to look at this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. There's no way Paul was not going to be an apostle when God called him to be an apostle. Same as you and your Christian beliefs this morning. God has called you to be a Christian. This message has the power to wholly and fully change a man. As I said earlier, Paul's life was a he was a murderous thug. He called himself such. He says, I'm the least of all apostles. He uses the word stillborn there in 1 Corinthians 15 to say he was one born out of time. He said, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And by his own omission, he is a zeal to the persecutor of the church, it says in Philippians 3.6. He said, I persecuted this way, speaking of the Christians, the early Christians. You know, he was standing at the feet of Stephen, holding the coats of the people that stoned him to death. He said, I, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And none of these things were done in secret. I've often said about Paul, this was, this was a systematic purging and and, and punishing of those who called themselves Christians. As the high priest and the whole council of elders would bear me witness, for them I, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also 
who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem. As I said, this was systematic. It was committed before witnesses. It had the blessing of the elders of the city. It was sanctioned by the leadership of Israel. Brothers and sisters, Paul was a murderous thug. He believed he was doing God a favor. And he brought into the world the first martyr in Stephen. And the scripture goes all over itself to say that Stephen was a good man, yet Paul killed him. But what happened? On the road to Damascus, Paul was changed. In Acts chapter 9, it, it tells us very specifically that Paul was still breathing out threats to the church and he was on his way indeed to deliver papers to, to kill and to persecute more Christians. And what happened to him was that God split the sky and Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul and he was forever changed by the treasures so rich in this passage. Paul was completely changed. There was nothing left of Paul that was the old Paul. He was completely changed. Paul was so changed by the message. Paul was so changed by the message, the murderous thug that killed the Christians was now ready to die to promote Christianity. In fact, beloved, he writes this letter from prison about these glorious realities in the book of Ephesians. That's what we need today. Men who are willing to die for the truth of Jesus Christ. Men who are like Paul, willing to go to prison even for the truth of Jesus Christ. Men who know the truth, live the truth, and preach the truth. And I'm talking to a specific set of men. And I don't want to tear you down this morning, men. I want to build you up because authority, authority flows to men who take responsibility. We see this over and over in Scripture. And you men are Christian men who, like Paul, have been changed by this gospel. Our culture desperately needs men just like you. I beg you to realize the truth in the book of Ephesians. David understood this when he went to that giant with a little sling and a stone. He said, I know that God has delivered this man already to my hands. I'm going to fight him. He was basically fearless in this fight. Moses, Nehemiah, and the building of the wall that we've been going over on Wednesday nights, he was a fearless man for God. These men were all changed by the truth, the glorious realities that we're reading about in Ephesians. And because of their change, they changed the culture around him. I, uh, this week, uh, and I often write this into the weekly message, I met a young man this week, and uh, he was just graduated high school and looking forward to college. And it's a fun time in a young man's life when you're taken off to do something drastically new, and you're, you know, and, and, and in my case, I thought I was going to conquer the world. And I think I missed by just a little bit when I, when I took off with that attitude. I should have been just a little more humble, but uh, that was before the Lord saved me, right? So I talked to this young man, and I, I, I often ask young men the same question. And I do it so I can start a conversation. I said, young man, um, and I won't tell you his name because some of you might know who he is, but I said, uh, I think he's 19, right? He skipped a year. I said, what does it mean to be a man? And he looked at me, and I knew he was mature, and, and he, he had good parents that had trained him well. And he said, that's a great question, Pastor. 
I said, yes, it is. I said, do you have an answer for it? Because you're 19. You're on the precipice of going out and taming the world. What does it mean to be a man? Surely you know what it means to be a man. And he said, well, I think it means to be real. I think it, and I saw him struggling, so I kind of turned it a little bit. And I learned a long time ago, uh, I'm not there to prove somebody wrong. I want somebody to believe my message. So I have to, I have to meet the man where he's at. I have to, if I want the man to listen to me, I have to, I have to earn that respect for him to listen to me. So I kind of turned it a little bit, and I said, well, what are you going to be when you go to, uh, what are you, what's your major going to be in college? And he was going for accounting. And I said, well, that's great. You'll be able to count all the money that the, that the Lord's going to pour out on you, and, and you'll be able to do that well. And he said, well, to be honest with you, Pastor, he said, I'm kind of just a middle-of-the-road guy. I don't want to cause any waves. I don't want to. I just want to take a position and do my thing for the rest of my life, and, and that'll be good enough. Maybe that's what it means to be a man. So I kind of left that conversation there and, and prayed for another day to speak with this young man, and that just kind of burned in my heart. I wanted to be middle of the road. Didn't want to cause any waves. Just wanted to go to college, get his degree, do his work, and get on with his life. I guess in some ways that I can understand that. I can even respect it. But I do question it. And then later this week, I was, uh, had a chance to go up to the graduation. And uh, I didn't even know it was taking place. If Heather wouldn't have told me and and Gabriel graduated. Congratulations, Gabriel, for, for your graduation this week. It was fun to go up there and, and watch that. And I got there just as, you know, they're all marching into pomp and circumstance. I don't know where they get pomp. There's probably, if you research that a little bit, pomp and circumstance means something. But I don't know what it means this morning, but they were all marching into it, right? And, and, and they were war- just marching right in. And as they marched in and they sat down in the seats, it got quiet. And the speaker got up and he said, I want to tell you that today... Uh, we, we want to uh, just take a time and tell you why we call it Pennsville Memorial High School. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I, I just saw the monument earlier that day and kind of understood that it was dedicated to men who had fought in the war, who had dedicated their lives to serve in that capacity. And sure enough, he began to name three men that had gone to that high school, two of them who had passed in the 60s, and one young man had given his life in 2020, I believe it was. I thought, what an honorable thing. What a great thing to do. What what a way to capture the attention of these graduates and turn them to the reality that they're going from being a child and to the real world where they've got to they've got to live and be adults. And as he said those words and he called those names, he said, "I want to honor these three men's lives in a moment of silence." I thought to myself, whew, they gave their lives for a moment of silence. But that's the culture we live in. The Bible tells us no greater love than a man lay down his life for another man. I think prayer would have been fitting. I think to honor the men with the sacrifice of their life for the service they gave is worth much more than a moment of silence. And i just give you those two illustrations to tell you, Christian men, there's more expected from us than a moment of silence. We're called to make waves. 
We're called to know the truth, to live the truth, and preach the truth. And there's a culture out there. It's at our high school. It's in our neighborhoods. It's everywhere that needs to know the truth of Jesus Christ. We need men just like you. Because within you are treasures so rich that have changed your life. You have the power to change the culture. Because as I said earlier, the culture is downstream from the cult. So if we see our culture and we see paganism, we see the cult of paganism because you worship what you live. You live what you worship. And Paul brought this message to the Ephesians, to the saints at Ephesus. And I want to underline that in verse 1. Go back and look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, whose life was much changed. In fact, these messages of treasures so rich went into Paul, and what came out of Paul was the willingness to give his life so that he could see that cultural change. But it took place, just like the promises of God said, because he's writing to the saints, that is, those who have been set apart, that is, the church, Ecclesia, those called out of the darkness into the light of Jesus Christ, those who are now holy saints. Can you believe it? You're a saint. Do you feel like a saint this morning? That's what God is calling you. That's what these treasures so rich are all about because He's in Christ has made you saints. Beloved, we need to change our culture. Your saints go out into this culture. See that, please. Because now you're saints, you're those who are faithful in Jesus Christ. And the reason this message can change the world through men who are willing to die to the world, men and women, beloved, it starts with men. And you're going to hear me speak about a, lot, a lot about that over the coming weeks and months. Because we need good, strong Christian men. We need them in our church. We need them in our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Sorry to step on a few toes there. We need them in our song service. We need them in our worship service. We need them in our Sunday school classes. We need them in our homes. We need them teaching their children and their wives and loving them like, like, like they've been changed by this message, like Ephesians 5 would say. We need them loving their wives and their families like Jesus loved the church because when those men do those things, we're going to change the culture in which we live. We're going we're gonna to go to the school and we're going to say, why would you have a moment of silence? Young man, please reconsider not making, not making any waves in your life. Please make waves. Please <laughs> make waves for Jesus Christ. You know why this message is going to change the world? Because the greatest messenger of it was willing to die for the sins of the world. His name is Jesus. <laughs> His name is Jesus, and we're called to be men in the same manner, men. We're called to be believers who understand, who have been changed by this message, so changed by this message that we're willing to live by this message. We not only know the truth, but we live the truth, and we're willing to go out and preach the truth no matter what it may cost. Like Paul, we may go to prison. Like Paul, we may lose face with a lot of people. But we need to be willing to do that. I want to encourage Christian men because those are the fathers and the, and the wives that stand beside them today that can change the culture. If we're waiting for culture to change itself, we're only going to see more of what we're seeing, beloved. Right? In some ways, that's right where we are. We're right in the middle of that. I want you to take encouragement this morning because this 
message is so rich. And it's backed up by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. If taking responsibility, even if the responsibility is not yours, makes authority flow to you as a man, the best example of that is the one that took responsibility for all of our sins who had never sinned. Jesus. He came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he said, put their sins on me. And because of that, authority flows to him. Turn with me real quickly if you have it in your Bibles this morning. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I think it begins in uh, verse uh, 9, I believe. 6. You remember John? He was brokenhearted because he... He believed that there was nobody to receive the scroll from God on the throne. He began to cry, and the, the, the angel said, Don't cry, John. There's one who has overcame. There's one who gave his life willingly. And it begins there at verse 6, and, and all, of the, all of the authority flew, flowed to Jesus because he took on all the responsibility of our sins and it says in verse 6, And between the throne, the four and living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to the all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand. He had authority to take the scroll because it was his to take. Verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four and living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. Golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang that new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you have ransomed the people for God from every tribe, language, and tongue, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That is Jesus. That's the message this morning, that if you take responsibility, authority will flow to you. Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus, the God of heaven, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need men who know the truth, will live the truth, and preach the truth. That's how this message has the power to change. That it changes us first, church. And then we take it to the culture and change the culture. That's God's will. That's the center of verses 9 and 10. That's all he's doing in this place. If you get distracted from that, you're distracted from what God's doing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come this day to a close this morning. Just a small taste of the book of Ephesians and the way you've changed Paul. A man sent from God with the message of God to the people of God to do the work and will of God. Father, may we be those people that take up that work 
May we understand the magnitude of change that you brought into our lives through the, the shedding of your son's blood on the cross of Calvary. And may we take that treasure so rich that we carry within us, as Blake mentioned this morning, that is within us, and carry that to a lost and hurting world. Oh, how they need to hear it. And oh, how we need to be fearless to bring it. I pray for the men that are here this morning that they would be encouraged that they are those men, that you have changed them, and they can live those lives. And as they begin to take up that authority, not only of their own lives personally and the work and power of the gospel, but of their families' lives, that they can go out into this community and they'll see that when they begin to be responsible in that way, that you will give them the authority to continue on in that. Father, that authority and that work is for your church in this community. I pray, Father, that the message from Ephesians has changed us in that manner. Go before us, Father, if there's one here this morning that is not changed by that message. May you do that work in their heart this morning. May they see those treasures so rich that even before the foundations of this world, that you were working on their behalf to bring them to be reconciled to you through the blood of your son, Jesus. It's in his name this day that we pray. Amen.